You know, commentators call the book of Ephesians the Grand Canyon of Paul's epistles. It's breathtakingly beautiful and it's inexhaustible in its truth. And even in its simplicity, Ephesians has untold riches throughout its pages. It's it's literally a gospel gold mine. This morning we sang a song. If I can find it. All right. Where do you, uh, here we go. I want to encourage you. There's a song that was written by Bob Coughlin and Tim Chester called Come, and, Come Praise and Glorify. We've sung it a number of times. I, I don't know of a better song commentary on the book of Ephesians than this song. This really does encapsulate. It, it does quantify what Ephesians is all about. Come praise and glorify our God, the Father of our Lord. In Christ, He has in heavenly realms His blessings on us poured. For pure and blameless in His sight, He destined us to be. And now we've been adopted through His Son eternally. To the praise of Your glory, to the praise of Your mercy and grace, To the praise of your glory, you are the God who saves. Come praise and glorify our God who gives his grace in Christ. In him our sins are washed away, redeemed through sacrifice. In him God has made known to us the mystery of his will, that Christ should be the head of all his purpose to fulfill. Come praise and glorify our God, for we've believed the word. And through our faith we have a seal, the Spirit of the Lord. The Spirit guarantees our hope until redemption's done, until we join in endless praise to God, the three in one. That's Ephesians right there. You could sing that song and you could be a commentator on the book of Ephesians. And as we wrap up, as we finish this journey this morning, I, as your pastor, as your friend, want to appeal to you to not lose sight of the pathway you've spent eight months walking on, learning from Paul as we have made our way through Ephesians. There's so much rich doctrinal truth here that it would be a tragedy to not step back into this book with the assumption, well, we studied Ephesians and so we can move on to something else. Let's, let's not. Let's, let's stay close to Ephesians. Francis Folks, in his commentary, says this. He says, It is like a sermon on the greatest and widest theme possible for a Christian sermon. The eternal purpose of God, which he is fulfilling through his son Jesus Christ and working out in and through the church. That's what Ephesians is about. And as we close today... We're going to look back and we're going to touch on a number of chapters and a number of verses by way of reminder to see the, the marks, the, 
the, the trail markers that we have passed along the way in this really stunning, stunning book on the purpose of the church and the glory of Jesus Christ. So pray with me. Father, we pray this morning that you would help us all. I pray for the church, Lord, that you would be gracious to give them illumination this morning as they read these final words from Paul, that you would open not just eyes, but you would open hearts, that you would give ears to hear, that as you address these men and women through this passage, they hear your voice speaking and they respond to your voice. Father, may we ever be ones who read your word and not forget like those who look in a mirror and walk away, but may we remember. And Father, I I pray for you to help me this morning that in my weakness and in my inadequacies, you would make yourself strong. Lord, my confidence is in your word. It's in you that you are here to bless and encourage these dear people. In Jesus' name, amen. Numerous commentators praise Ephesians for its simplicity and its teaching and all the basic doctrinal truths that it lays out for us. The doctrine of God, the the doctrine of Christ, the the doctrine of man, the doctrine of election, the doctrine of salvation, the doctrine of the church, and many others reside in these six chapters. And as we come to a close and we read Paul's final greeting, you, you, you might be surprised, like, you know, what? He, he closes with some very simple words, but, but as you look intently more at what Paul states in, in chapter 6, verses 21 through 24, you will begin to recognize, hidden in the background, all these truths, many of these truths that Paul was talking about from chapter 1 all the way through chapter 6. Read along with me in verse 21. Paul is writing, and he says, So that you also may know how I am doing and what I am doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. It really would be sad if we had just passed on these final verses because, you know, in your I'm sure in your Bible, in your translation, there's a little heading there that says final greetings. And although that, that did not appear in the original text, um, I mean, they are final greetings, but we can assume maybe that final greetings are of not great importance. But that's not true. We, we've got to finish what we begin reading. I grew up I lived in a household with Marilyn, my son, and two girls. And, and to my both 
excitement and chagrin at the same time, my girls really love to read the sports page. So that was like a, a ritual. I get up in the morning and I go to the sports page, except it was never there. And then when I finally find it, I would read it and I didn't have enough time to finish it. So then I'd go off to work and I'd come home and it was never there. And typically I found it either in the trash or I would find it in one of the girls' rooms being cut up for something, for some art project. And I never got to finish stories that I began. And in my day and age, we didn't have online newspapers. You had a thing called paper. And it had print on it. And you read those newspapers. And what a joy to be able to sit down with a cup of coffee and have something to read rather than an iPad or this tiny iPhone where you're trying to read. And then they want you to pay for this online subscription. Do not do it. It's, it's a black hole. Buy a newspaper. And so Paul here, Paul here is, he's finishing what he started in verse 1 for us. He's beginning to, he's ending with, with the very words he started with in chapter 1. This is no mere goodbye. In, in chapter 1, Paul writes, verse 2, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And in 23 and 24, Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with a love incorruptible. This is no mere goodbye. This is Paul's final words. Final words to the Ephesian church, a church that he had hoped to visit. This was his first imprisonment in Rome. He was hoping to get back to Ephesus. Uh, He did not make it. He ends up imprisoned in Rome again, which leads to his martyrdom. These are his final words. Final words mean a lot. I have a book at home that is basically the final words of sinners and saints. And it, it, just, it just gives a one page after another of the last words people uttered on their deathbed, both sinners and saints. And it's, it's just profound, some of the things that are said, and it is tragically sad, some of the things that are said. And in Paul's final words here, he is saying something profound. One of uh, a man named William Collier, who was a reformer in England in the 1600s, was, was burned at the stake for his faith, for his trust in the scriptures, for his belief that God's word should be shared. He was a, a contemporary of William Tyndale. And as he stood on, the, on this platform with wood around him and being set on fire, there was a gentleman named Mr. Ridley standing next to him who is also being burned at the stake. And this man's last words were this, Be of good cheer, Master Ridley, and play the man, for we shall this day light such a candle in England as I trust by God's grace shall never be put out. I know those wouldn't be my last words. As I'm being burned at the stake, I can't imagine. I get sunburned and I'm miserable. Paul's words are even more profound. 
Paul's words summarize in this passage, literally his entire message throughout the book of Ephesians. Some of it in the background, some of it in the forefront. Look at verse 21 with me. Two points this morning. The first one is the church. Paul summarizes, he provides a window into what it meant for him to be related to one another in the local church. Verse 21, Paul writes, So that you also may know how I am and what I am doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I've sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Paul sends Tychicus, his beloved brother, his faithful worker in the gospel, a close friend, a man that Paul depended on, a a man that Paul loved, a man that Paul counted on. And it's instructive for us to see in this letter that is rich with gospel teaching, Paul speaks to them. He finishes out of relationship. He speaks to them out of relationship, out of his love for them, out of his care for them. He is aware of their love and concern for him, and he expresses his love and concern for them by sending Tychicus, his beloved brother, his faithful friend, his gospel partner. He sends this man for the very purpose of encouraging them. While Paul has taught them throughout Ephesians life-transforming truths, what he's interested in as he finishes up his letter is that they be encouraged, that they be strengthened, that they not be dismayed at what they hear about his imprisonment, that they not be discouraged, but that they have courage put into them, that they may be encouraged in their hearts, and that they may experience Paul's love through another. That's the life of the church. That's what, we, that's what we do here. It's why we exist. That we can encourage one another in Christ. That we can serve one another in Christ. And through this personal update, Paul demonstrates what he has just taught them about the love that they're to have for one another. In one fifteen, Paul commends them. We read this months and months ago. Paul writes, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease giving thanks for you. Paul wants to remind them of the things he wrote earlier. In 2.22, Paul again commends them. He's talking about the love. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. In 4, 1, verses 1 through 3, Paul says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. 4.32, Paul goes on. However, let each one of you 
Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. And 5.2, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. In these few words about Tychicus and his coming to encourage them, and the sending of a beloved brother, the sending of a gospel partner. Paul is telling them, this is the church. This is grace church. This is our church. This is what we are to be doing to encourage one another. This is what Paul decides and desires to do. He doesn't end with this treatise on doctrine. He ends with his love for his friends in Ephesus. He tells them in verse 22 that the very purpose, his very purpose for sending Tychicus was to encourage them, was to love them, was to update them. His very purpose. You, you would have thought he, he might have said, now, one of the reasons I sent Tychicus is so that he could deliver the letter, which was his responsibility. That was what he was sent to do. He was sent to deliver the letter. But in Paul's thinking, that was secondary. He was sent to deliver love. He was sent to deliver Paul's expression of care for them. Paul does right to protect them against false doctrine, unbiblical thinking, and returning to the temptations that, and the way of life they used to live in. And he wants to ignite their passion. He wants to ignite their love for Christ and the church. And it's, that's important. But above all else, Paul desires to send his love. And so he sends Tychicus. Verse 21 and 22 are what make, makes Paul's teaching real. It's what makes Paul's teaching come to life for these Ephesians. They loved Paul. When Paul left them, they sent him off with tears. They, he lived with them for a year and a half. These men and women knew Paul. He was a friend. And so when a friend writes, that is important to them. And when they gather together as a church to listen to these words being read, they listened intently because they knew this man. They knew what he stood for. They knew what he hoped in. They remember what he brought to them. And in the midst of all these amazing spiritual truths, Paul focuses their attention on this. I'm concerned about you. I'm concerned about you. I love you. This is what you are about. This is why I talk about unity of the faith in chapter 4. This is why I talk about the mystery of the gospel. Jew and Gentile being united together in chapter 1 and chapter 2. It's why I talk about loving one another. It's why I've commended you for having love for the saints. You are living this out. And as an expression of my last words 
to you. I am living it out with you. Paul's last words begin with the church. And Grace Church is the context where we want to apply these truths. Paul applies what he has been what he's been teaching and he makes it real to the Ephesians and we want to make it real here. It's why we follow commands like 4:15 speaking the truth in love that we speak the gospel to one another. That when you are discouraged we remind you that Christ is in you the hope of glory when you are feeling guilty we remind you with the gospel we speak truth to you that Christ has died for your sins for the forgiveness of your sins that if you confess your sins he is faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. We are reminded. And so we want to, as a church, apply verses 21 and 22 to ourselves. Secondly, Paul does return to doctrine. Now that he has laid this foundation of love and encouragement, he wants to return back to the beginning truths he first started with in chapter 1. He starts with the gospel. Now, verses 23 and 24 are really, in essence, a benediction. Another commentator would describe them as a prayer wish. He is praying this over these people because he loves them, because he has a relationship with them. He prays these words over them. These verses are a summary of all his teaching through a benediction. And this benediction is just a reminder of all the blessings that we've experienced in Christ. In, in chapter 1, verse 4, we discover that we were chosen in Him. Paul writes in verse 3 of chapter 1, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And then he goes on to describe that in verse 4, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In verse 5, it says that we are adopted. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. In verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. In verse 8, grace which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. And verse 10, making as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. There is a future hope, Paul says. He reminds us that we were dead in our trespasses and sins. Chapter 2, verse 4, that we were not alive, we were dead. And in him we were chosen. This is the spiritual blessings, every spiritual blessing that we are sealed by the Spirit, a guarantee at the end of chapter 1. All of these things Paul is reminding them of simply 
by his final words, peace be to the brothers. Peace. Peace. A a major theme throughout Ephesians. Peace that surpasses all understanding. It is a peace that we are reconciled to Christ. A peace that we are reconciled to one another. A peace. As Paul opens and closes with these words, he goes on to describe what we have in the gospel. We have peace with God. We're no longer enemies of God. We're no longer at war with God. The gospel has broken down the dividing wall in chapter 2, verses 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility, that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two, so making peace. And he came and preached peace to those who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. We were separated from God. And we were separated from one another. We were warring with God and we were warring with one another. And Paul reminds us of what God has done in these last words. Peace be to the brothers. Peace. A word that was hoped for but unattainable because of the human condition. A word that meant so much and yet was so impossible. The Hebrew word shalom for peace, a common greeting, a common goodbye, and yet not a reality. And Paul says, oh, Jesus has made it so. Are you not at peace with God? You can be. And you can be at peace with one another. And in that peace, he says in chapter 4, that we are to be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Here is the gospel on display in one word. One word. Paul goes on, he just doesn't stop with peace. He goes on to say, peace to the brothers and love with faith. Paul's benediction is that his Ephesian friends acknowledge and receive the blessing of God's love for them. This love with faith is not about our love towards one another. It's describing God's love towards us. Ephesians 2, we read numerous times, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. One word peace describes the gospel. One phrase here, love with faith describes the gospel. The source of this love, Paul writes here, is God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father 
and the Lord Jesus Christ. We love because he first loved us. See how, First John, see how great a love the Father has for us that we should be called children of God. And such we are. Paul ends with a Grand Canyon depth of doctrinal truth, specifically the gospel. You have peace with God. You have peace with one another. You are loved by God. And finally, you have grace. Look at verse 24. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. He prays that they would experience what he has so often emphasized in his letter. God has given favor to those who don't deserve it. That's this undercurrent, this thread that has run through Ephesians from chapter 1 all the way through chapter 6. God has given favor to those who don't deserve it. That is grace. That is grace. And Paul goes on to to accentuate throughout the book this grace. In verse 1 of chapter 6, to the praise of His glorious grace, which He has blessed us in the Beloved. Chapter 1, verse 7, redemption and forgiveness has been given to you according to the riches of His grace. 2.5, by grace you have been saved. 2.7, He will show us the immeasurable riches of His grace. 4.7, grace is given to each one of us. Throughout Ephesians, from chapter 1 through chapter 6, There are trail markers along the way. And the one that is the biggest and the most prominent is the one that says grace on it. And we can't grow weary of walking down this pathway. It's a well-worn path and it's one we need to stay on. Years ago, Marilyn and I took our kids to this place in southern Virginia to the mountains, which was a mistake in the first place because the only good thing about the mountains is seeing them in your rearview mirror as you're driving away. I'm a beach person. And, uh, but my wife loves the mountains, and so to the mountains we went, and we took the kids with us. And they, I can't remember their ages. They were like... 13 and 10 and 7 and we're doing this hiking trail and it was we actually went to the I think it's the green was it the Greenbrier what was the name homestead I can't remember it was one of those big places and they had these trails around and so we started walking and it's like you, the, the 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 building was always in sight we must have walked a hundred yards and two of my children just sat down and say we are so tired Dad, can you go get the car and pick us up? What? You run all day in the yard. You play for nine, ten hours on end. You can play baseball. You can do all these things. And you can't walk. Oh, my legs are so worn. Dad, Dad, we're, we're really going to die out here. You've got to get the car. 
Yeah, we haven't been back since. (laughs) They gave up along the way. Now, to my son's credit, he backpacked the Grand Canyon with me twice. So he finally grew up. It was about time. Man up is what I was saying. The trail that we're on, we can't give up. We can't grow weary. We've got to walk this trail and find the signs of grace along the way. Grace be with all. No one is exempt from experiencing and receiving the grace of God. It is to be had and found by all who have come to faith in Christ. P.T. O'Brien He says this in his commentary. He said, the readers, and by implication all believers, need to be aware not only of the objective blessings of the mighty salvation that have been won for us by God in Christ, but also that we have responded in an appropriate way. We need to respond to grace. And Paul gives us that response here in verse 24b with the Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ. And I love the NASB. It says, with an undying love. It's a song that we sing. Grace, grace to all who love the Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. That's where that song comes from, is this verse. That we love Christ with an undying love. There's a, there's a purpose for this peace. There's a purpose for this love with faith. There is a purpose for grace. And that is that we're to respond to Christ with an undying love. Love is a constant theme throughout Paul's letters. God's love for us, our love for the saints, a husband's love for his wife, a believer's love in general. But in this place is the only place where our love for Christ is made explicit where we are to have a love for Christ. Paul closes his letter with the stress on our personal relationship and our commitment to our Savior. That's how Paul closes this letter. Do you love Christ with an undying love? Paul has warned us in his letter about the things that can keep us from loving him with an undying love. In chapter 4, walking in the life that we were saved from. Returning to that life. 431, having bitterness or malice or slander or anger or wrath or unforgiveness. But that we're to forgive one another as God in Christ has forgiven us. In 5, talked about sexual impurity. Sexual immorality that can draw us away and lead us from having an undying love for Jesus Christ. In 5.4, he talks about crude and foolish talk, unwholesome words coming out of our mouths. That can lead us from having an undying love for Christ. 6.20 is, 10 and 20 is Jeff preached so well from a few weeks ago that we can be fighting against the wrong thing. 
We can be fighting against flesh and blood when our real enemy is the spiritual realm. These things can undermine and erode our undying love for Christ. Paul ends this wonderful letter reminding us first of the church, the love we have for one another, the relationship we're to have for one another, that we are here to encourage one another. We're here to help one another grow as disciples and make new disciples. That's the church. And then there's the gospel. Paul reminds us of the gospel one more time. As he began a bookend in chapter 1, verse 2, and he finishes in chapter 24, chapter 6, verse 24, grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with a love incorruptible. Brothers and sisters, we we have walked through the Grand Canyon of God's word. Thank God. It's not my words. It's nobody else's words, but God's words. And this morning, our response is and should be, what does, what does erode my love for Christ? What does tempt me to be distant in my love for Christ? Do I have an undying love for Christ? Or do I love other things more? And that's, that's always a hard question because it can certainly raise the specter of guilt. Oh, I never love God enough. That's not what Paul's after here. Paul's really asking, do you love me in the midst of the life that you face? Do you remain faithful and stand firm? And here he says, grace, grace to all who love the Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. Because he has loved you with an undying love. Oh, no, not an undying love. He loved you with the death of his son. He who did not spare his own son, but gave himself up for us all. Let us be a church that does not part ways with Ephesians too quickly. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love, how you demonstrated your love for us through not sparing your own son, but giving him up for us all, that he might be sacrificed for our sins, that we might be reconciled to you. Lord, thanks for doing that. And thanks for raising him from the dead, ascending into heaven, and uniting his people into the place we call the church. That we can together, we can together love you with an undying love. Lord, help Grace Church to do that. Help us to live in such a way
that the love of God is made known to each other in this church and to a community around us who needs to hear the bold and loving words of the gospel of Jesus Christ. May that be so to your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.